hope you are keeping up with your daily Bible reading schedule, whether you use the book. Uh, I would say that would be a minimum. And uh, if you want to read more, that's, of course, uh, very good and positive. And, uh, but sometimes when we get to these books in the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Lamentations, and we, we just kind of allow ourselves to, to get bogged down. And as I was uh, just reading through the book of Isaiah, um, there was some verses here in chapter 48 that just arrested uh, my attention, and we'll use them for the uh, basis of our sermon this morning. Uh, I like to take scripture where it is and explain what it says and then apply it to our daily life. The Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. There is not one passage that God has left out. There's not one thing that he put in there just to be boring or tedious. Every word has a purpose. And we look here in chapter 48... And he is condemning the sins of his people, Israel. And I want us just to start in our introduction time, if, if we'll just take a moment, and we often do this here because we want to call attention to two things. This is a worship service. Number one, we want to call attention to the goodness of God. Amen? Number two we want to call attention to the frailty, the sinfulness of mankind, i.e. ourselves. Because until we see ourselves for who we are and what we are, we can never understand God for who he is. And I don't know about you, but how many of you get frustrated with your own inability to do right? Would you just give a hand to a testimony to that? And, and it does not have to be some great sordid act of human deviancy to qualify as sin. Uh, one of the problems that we have today is people have stopped, preachers, many of them, have stopped preaching on sin. And so what we do is we relegate sin to the big three, uh, is uh, uh, murder, adultery and, and uh, thievery or something like that and, and and you pick your three and someone else picks their three and well as long as I don't do those I'm okay wrong for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God how many of you are saved would you give testimony to your salvation today isn't that a wonderful thing to know your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home of those that just raised their hand saying they were saved, how many of you sinned this week? Now that's not a pleasant thought, is it? And hence we reach one of those conflicting points of our relationship with God. Uh, sometimes uh, the literary term is a paradox, that is a a conflicting ideas that are brought together and there's no resolution for them. Because God is not going to stop being good. Aren't you glad about that? God is not going to stop being holy. In fact, I, I want to get a copy of this article if I can. I just breezed over it very quickly as I was got back last night and started going through all the emails and stuff. There was an article, actually it was in the Wall Street Journal of all places, uh, in the opinion column on the new Christianity and how that the technologically advanced and the cool Jesus people, they're not making it with the young people of our day because they can see straight through the facade. Uh, you're not going to outworld the world. We've been saying that here since there was an open door Bible Baptist church. Uh, those that want the things of the world are not going to show up in church on Sunday morning now, are they? 
they're going to be at the clubs on Friday night and Saturday night. They're, they're going to be waking up from whatever induced stupor that they had. Uh, uh, some of you remember me talking about my friend Joe when I worked in a service station in high school. He said, oh, he said, I feel so bad. I must have had a great time last night. First time he said that, I said, what do you mean? He says, well, the worse I feel on Sunday morning, it means I must have had a better time Saturday night. I say, what kind of life is that? You know what? When I have a great time with the Lord Jesus Christ, I wake up with a clear conscience, don't I? I don't have to worry about what I did when I didn't know what I was doing. I can serve the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? And the point I'm trying to make is we have this conflict. We have God's holiness. We have our sinfulness, our humanity. Now those two things meet at one place. They meet at a hill called Calvary. They meet at an old rugged cross where the love and the perfect holiness and justice of Almighty God meant the sinfulness and the weakness and the frailty of human flesh. And there God paid for every sin that was ever sinned, and yet oftentimes we catch ourselves walking around saying, oh, I did something wrong. I hope lightning doesn't strike me. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not doing exactly right. I, 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 God is going to do something bad to me. Let me tell you, and the passage, and again, this is Old Testament, and proves again that we have one Bible and one God. I want you to read with me, starting in verse 9 of Isaiah chapter 48. You read with me quietly while I read aloud. For... My name's sake, this is God speaking. For my name's sake will I defer my anger. And for my praise will I refrain for thee, that I cut thee not off. Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, even for mine own sake will I do it. For how should my name be polluted? And I will not give my glory unto another. Now here God is speaking to his disobedient children. And he's making a statement here. He said, for my name's sake will I defer my anger. God is saying, listen, I want a name that people understand. Now the Bible tells us one of God's names, 1 John chapter 4, God is what? Love. That's one of God's names. The next time you run into your friendly neighborhood, Jehovah's Sickness, and they ask you, what's God's name? Say, God is love, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. And they're going to look at you and go, no, 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 his name is Jehovah. Well, God's got hundreds of names in the Bible. Learn them all. But God is love, my friend. And God wants us to understand something. He is not this vengeful, hateful being that sits in heaven and has to have his mother come to him constantly saying, now, now Jesus, don't get too upset at this person. Uh, don't fry him. Uh, uh, you, you've got to believe me. He's a really nice guy. That's not the Jesus of the Bible, my friend. He does not need intercession for, by anyone for anyone because he is love. He already loves you. And he cannot love you any more than he already does. I love the way my preacher put it. He said, God knows everything about you. And yet he still loves you. He knows everything. 
He knows every thought. He knows every deed hidden by the darkness of night in the cunningness of man. He knows everything that we've ever done or thought or will do or will think. And yet he still went to the cross to die for us. Let me tell you, God said, for my namesake, I will defer. Now, what does that word defer mean? It means to put off. God is not saying, I'm going to compromise my holiness. This was part of that article in the Wall Street Journal. It says that a Protestant preacher came out with this idea that if the church does not make serious adaptations to the world, i.e. sacrifice doctrine for cultural relevancy, that the church will disappear. And, and I want to challenge you, uh, uh, talking about the Presbyterian church, that just might happen. But when you talk about Jesus' church, he said the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What are you saying, Pastor? The Presbyterian church is not Christ's church? Well, who started it? Anybody heard of a guy named John Knox? He is the founder of the Presbyterian Church. There was no Presbyterian Church before John Knox because no one had come up with a way to govern or control the church at, like John Knox did, hence the term Presbyterian or control of the church by the presbyters or the preachers. Now, if the preachers are in control of the church, is Jesus in control of the church? Let me give you an example. For the past 10 years, the United Presbyterian, the largest of the Presbyterian denominations in the United States, I think it's actually called the Presbyterian Church USA now, but uh, they are the largest group of Presbyterians. The last 10 years, in their general council, which they hold every so often, the uh, issue has been voted on and declined, fortunately, to ordain practicing homosexuals into the ministry. Now, let me promise you something. That could not happen in Jesus' church. Can't. Won't. Read Revelation chapters 2 and 3. What did he tell the church at Ephesus? He said, if you don't go back and get your first love for me, I'm taking your candlestick out of the holder. It's not going to be my church. I'm going to disown it. I'm not showing up. I want you to understand something here. God does not say that I'm going to sit in my rocking chair and smile at your sin. God does not say that I'm going to pretend it doesn't exist. Every sin has to be judged by a holy God. Every wicked commercial you watch on television. Every time you lose your temper and find it again. Every time you think of perverse thought, God has them all written down in his books. Every one of them. Isn't that a scary thought? And God says, for my name's sake, I will defer my anger. Now, how many of you have ever had a mortgage or a scheduled loan payment that you've had to make? Or a credit card where you have to pay that thing? And every once in a while, they'll send you this nice little card that says, you can choose to defer the payment this month. Anybody ever receive those? Don't send anything in. Liars. They're still going to charge you interest. Don't believe them. But the word defer does not mean excuse. The word defer does not mean erase. The word defer means we're going to take this up at another time. I want you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. This is the other time. 
God said he would defer his anger. And this is what I mean by the Bible explains the Bible. Now, I wish we had time to spend the rest of our time this morning in Isaiah 53, but we just want to pick up a few points here so we don't lose our idea of what is going on in Isaiah 48. Verse 4 says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Verse 5, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Verse 7, He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Verse 8, He was taken from prison and from judgment. Verse 9, he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Verse 11, he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Could I challenge you today that is the reason we worship Jesus Christ and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit? Because his name is love. He loved us enough to be fulfill another of his names, the Savior. I pray there is no one sitting in these pews today that is trusting in this church or any organization for their salvation. Because let me warn you, no church died on the cross. The Savior did. No other human being or group of men or women can love you like Jesus loved you. Because he gave his life for you. And the reason he was able to give his life for you is because he is God and he was able to take it again. And that's why we praise his name. He said, for my name's sake, I will defer my anger. He said, for my praise, I will refrain not from thee, for thee. He says, I am not going to destroy you. But let me ask you a question. How many of us deserve God's judgment in our lives? Would you raise a hand there? Just, let's just give it a testimony. God is right. He is holy. We are not. We deserve his judgment. And if you want me to lie to you so you can feel better about yourself, you're going to have to go somewhere else. But let me tell you, the truth is so much better than the lie. God knows everything about me, but he still loves me. That's the kind of love you need. That's the kind of concern you need. He says, I'm going to refrain for thee. Because there are some people out there that are going to believe in my name. And if I destroyed everyone, I would have to destroy them too. How many of you remember Genesis chapter 19, Abraham praying with the Lord Jesus before the destruction of the cities in Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember that prayer? Where Abraham approaches him and... In fact, let's just turn there in case you don't have it memorized. Let's just turn there. Genesis chapter 19. I don't want to miss the words. It is just such an incredible passage. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 18. Verse 23. It says, And Abraham drew nigh and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now can you imagine the question that Abraham is asking the Lord Jesus as he appeared to him? He said, are you going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? He said, pre-adventure or by chance, 
There be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for fifty righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Who would presume to talk this way to God? But was Abraham rebuked for speaking this way? Absolutely not. When it's all said, look down to the last verse. Verse 30, and the Lord went his way as soon as he had left. What's that next word there? Communing. Jesus invited this conversation. And Abraham went from 50 to 10. You'll notice that Jesus stopped him right there. Because God knew what he was going to do in Sodom. And yet he sent his angels in there to deliver Lot and two of his daughters. Lot had more than two daughters because he had sons-in-law. And in order to have sons-in-law, you have to have daughters. So he had two single daughters with him, and who knows how many other daughters he had. But they all died in the iniquity of the city. Only Lot and two daughters survived. Go to 1 Peter. Second Peter, I don't understand. It says, and delivered just Lot. If there is any word I wouldn't put in Lot's name to describe Lot, just wouldn't be one of them. But I'm glad that God is describing Lot because if there's hope for Lot, there's hope for us. Amen? You see, God says, for my praise, I will refrain for thee, that I cut thee not off. This vindictive, cruel idea of a God is as old as mankind is. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, as soon as they sinned, what did they do? They tried to hide themselves from God. Why? They were afraid he was going to do something to them. That is a perverted idea of God. Here's what God wants to do. He wants to forgive you. Amen? And no, God will not go into your past and erase every deed and every thought. He will make you live with yourself. But you can take the burden of your sin and let Jesus carry it for you. Is that not why we praise him? Now look at this next verse here. Let's go back to Isaiah 48. Isaiah 48, verse 9 says, For my name's sake will I defer mine anger. He did until chapter 53. For my praise will I refrain for thee, that I cut thee not off. Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. God wants to change us. Now, verse 11 is a difficult verse. I mean, verse 10 is a difficult verse. It says, behold, that means I want you to look at this, pay attention. It says, I have refined thee. Now, this idea of the refining process is normally dealt with the purification of metal ores. When you uh, mine silver or gold, silver is the ore that is mentioned here. You're not going to just find chunks of pure silver laying in the dirt. It's going to be mixed in with other types of rock and different things. And it takes a great deal of heat, not only to melt that silver out of the rock, but to consume 
the other impurities are there that you might end up with pure silver. Now, as I was studying just a little bit on verse 10 here, the first thing everyone wants to do, it says, but not with silver. What does that mean? They want to change the words. But not as silver. Um, or not like silver. Or instead of silver. Uh, and they, they try to, don't change the words. The words are there. It says, Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. Now, I want you to keep your finger there and turn with me to Psalm 12. Verse 6 says, The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Now, we're not going to take time to go through all of verse, uh, Psalm 12, but what it says is, God has refined his word as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. God's word is pure. Let's go back to point one, are we? No. Can we be pure in this lifetime? No. Because we have that sin nature living within us. We will not have total victory until we shed this earthly body and join our Savior in heaven. Amen. But he's got a purpose for us to live here on earth. Many different groups over the years have taught that you can achieve sinless perfection in this lifetime. Let me tell you what it's produced. More sin. Because as you seek your own perfection, you've got one or two choices. One is you look at God's word and look at your life and look at God's word and look at your life, look at God's word, Look at your life and say, I have failed and continued to fail and will continue to fail. The other is, I look at your life and say, I'm doing better than you. I look at your life and say, I'm doing better than you. Therefore, I must be getting more perfect. You see, God says, you're not going to achieve sinless perfection. That's why... You're not purified with silver. You couldn't stand the heat. You see, he's refrained for thee that you be not consumed or cut off or destroyed in this life. He wants you to live, but he's going to take you through the furnace, my friend. The furnace is called affliction. How many of you have been in our study of Psalm 119? Let's go back there for just a moment. Psalm 119, verses 67 and verse 70. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. Verse 71 it is good for me that I have been afflicted, afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. You know, we can't understand why God does certain things at certain times. But we can trust God. And you know what that does? That moves us a little closer to him. Let me tell you something. The closer you get to God the cleaner your life gets. When I was a little boy, my mom gave me a little New Testament, and in it she wrote, this book will keep you from sin, and sin will keep you from this book. A lot of wisdom in that little statement. And if you look at your life, 
The times you have strayed the furthest is when you were farthest away from God's Word. God's Word is your protection. By the way, that's another one of His names. The Word. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. He that runneth into it is safe. Hide yourself in the Word. And He'll protect you. Not from affliction. Not from suffering, but from sin. Because it is often that affliction, it is often that suffering, it is often that grief of heart that if we will just allow it, will drive us closer to the Savior. Many people in our society today suffer from depression. And we're not trying to make light of that in any way. Depression is a horrible thing to deal with. And and it is suffering. But let me tell you, one of the answers to depression is realizing that this horrible thing that is happening to me is part of the furnace of affliction that God is using to refine me. You see, the reason we suffer depression is because we're angry and we can't express it. We know better than to yell at God. I would hope you know better than that by now. That will not help you. Draw nigh to him. Trust him with the affliction. And guess what he's going to do? He's going to make you a better servant. Because God has one purpose. His goal is not to destroy you. It is to build you. It is to conform you to the image of Christ. Just a small example of that is how many of you have seen a fine polished diamond? It's a beautiful thing, is it not? How many of you have ever seen a natural diamond? looks like a little piece of junky glass. It, there's nothing beautiful about a raw diamond. It has to be cut. It has to be polished. And by the way, you cut a diamond the wrong way, it looks like a piece of junk. I found a little bit of this out when I was looking for my wife's engagement ring. I said, here is a fine diamond. And they looked at that, and I said, oh, that's a beautiful, it looked awful small to me, and then he told me what it cost. Whoa, 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 let's look at another counter here. Uh, We just need to find something a little cheaper. And uh, the guy looked at me, and he realized what he had in front of him, and he was very kind, and he says, come with me. And he went over here, and he said, now this is a very small diamond, but it's cut a special way and it looks absolutely beautiful. I thought it looked nicer than the big fancy one, but it was a third the price. And I had that much credit and so I got it, amen? And the Lord paid it off. Let me tell you something. We love finished things that are beautiful. But we don't like the work and the suffering that it takes to get there. How many remember what that piano used to look like? It was pretty pitiful, wasn't it? But it looks a lot nicer now. Will you allow God to refine you? Will you understand? Let's go to uh, 1 Peter. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 10 says, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, Make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. 
To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now let's go back to Isaiah chapter 48 and pick up that last verse. It says, for mine own sake, even for mine own sake, will I do it. For how should my name be polluted? And I will not give my glory unto another. God says, listen, there's a reason why I want to refine you. There's a reason why I'm going to defer my anger and let Jesus take it for you. He said, for mine own sake will I do it. Now, let me ask you a question that can't be answered. But it's one we need to think of. Why does God love us? You know what it says right here? God says, for my own sake, because I want to. Because I'm God and I'm good and I want to be good to everyone who will allow me to be good to them. He said, I will do it. I wish I had a dollar for every person who said, Pastor, I can't live the Christian life like you do. Excuse me. I am not the standard of holiness. God is. If you use me for your standard, you're going to fall far short of what God wants to accomplish in your life. Because I am a sinful human being as you are a sinful human being. There's no difference between me and you except I've got a different job. I like my job. I get to yell at you for 45, 50 minutes every Sunday morning. Amen? No. I get to preach the word of God. How many of you have been through our discipleship? We spend a whole lesson on John chapter 17. God wants glory from your life. But when we sin, what do we do? We pollute his name. God says, I'm not going to allow that to happen. Almost everyone here, if you have any religion at all, you could quote the Lord's Prayer. How many could quote the Lord's Prayer in two or three languages before you were saved? A lot of people could, couldn't you? What is the first thing we are told to pray for in, quote, unquote, the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, which art in heaven, that's not a request. That's just to whom the prayer is addressed. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. That word hallowed is the same base word as the word holy. That word hallowed means lifted up and exalted, made special. That's why you should never say, Jesus this, or oh Jesus about that. That's why you should never say, oh my God. You should never do that. His name is to be hallowed. How are you going to hallow his name? Go back to the next the verse before it. It's in the furnace of affliction. How many times can you think of someone you've looked at while they were going through the deep waters of this life, the furnace of affliction, and say, their love for the Savior is such an encouragement to me. How many of you know something like that? How many of you have witnessed that? Hey, what are you doing? You had the privilege of lifting up his name. By the way, by definition, that's what worship is. And as I lift up his name, 
it pushes me down just a little bit. No, if I'm not careful, it'll crush me under its weight. But God will allow you to lift up his name. But so often it has to be in the furnace of affliction. Why? Because we have this treasure in an earthen vessel that the glory may be of God. Amen. God will keep you clean. But you got to get close. Let's turn to James chapter 4. Again, we're not going to touch on every point here, of course, but we want to read several verses. James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. How many of you want to be lifted up? How many of you need to be lifted up by the hand of God today? Okay, let's go back through the list. Number one, submit unto God. That means that he is always good, even when not so nice things happen to us. Amen. Even when we are going through the furnace of affliction, he is still good. It says, resist the devil. Now, what it means by that is don't go chasing the devil. <coughs> Just don't listen to him. Amen. That's how you resist the devil. You say, but I'm tempted all the time. Welcome to the human race. But when you don't do it, you've resisted him. Amen. It's just that simple. But what's the next say? Draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. How does that work? I heard a preacher talk about it this way. At the end of our service, we're going to give an invitation, and we're going to ask, if you need to come and pray as a Christian, here's a place to come and pray. That's what we've dedicated this, for you to come and talk to God about those problems. And one of the things that keeps people from using an altar is an old-fashioned thing called pride. If I walk down there, people think funny about me. Listen, I don't want this to ever be a place where somebody thinks funny about anybody. It's a humbling act to step forward. But we're also going to talk to those that are unsaved. One preacher took, put it this way, he said, if you'll take the first step, God will take a step. But he takes longer steps than you do, amen? If you'll take one step toward heaven, he'll bridge the gulf between the two and he'll meet you right where you are. You know why? Because he wants to, amen? He wants to be glorified in our lives. It says, draw nigh to God. Wash your hands. By the way, here's the best water in the world for washing your hands. Amen. Right in the words of this book. How many of you have ever had an argument with yourself? I want to, I don't want to. That's being of a double-mindedness. How do you solve double-mindedness? Well, it's real easy. It says purify your heart, you double-minded. If you get your heart consumed with God and his holiness, you will be doing the right thing, I promise you. 
be afflicted and mourn and weep. Don't fall for this trick of being happy about your sin. That's not of God. You humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he'll lift you up. He'll give you joy. He'll give you peace. He'll bring you through. And when it's all said and done, somebody's going to look at you and they're going to say, I know it wasn't you. It had to be your faith in God. Amen. Let's look at one more passage this morning. 1 Peter chapter 4. Verse 10, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. It doesn't say as the preacher or as every servant or as every uh, special individual. It says as every man hath received the gift. God has given every person that is saved a gift, something that you can use to serve other people. You take that gift and be a good steward by ministering it to someone else. Verse 11 goes a little further. It says, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now let's go back to Isaiah chapter 48. We're almost done. God is telling Israel, for my name's sake will I defer my anger. And for my praise will I refrain for thee that I cut thee not off. Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. For mine own sake, even for mine own sake will I do it. For how should my name be polluted? And I will not give my glory unto another. I want to challenge you today to stay in the struggle. To allow God to take you through the furnace of affliction. Because he does not want his name to be polluted. It's easy to look at yourself. Look at God's word and say, I give up, I just can't do it. That's exactly right. You cannot do it, you never could. It's not possible, nor will it ever be possible. So how does it work? I humble myself in the sight of God and he gives me what I need to serve him. Then his name is lifted up because he took a worthless sinner on his way to hell and gave him eternal life. Amen? He took a life that was messed up by sin and he forgave that sin. I love that song. I, the places I used to go, I don't go there anymore. The things I used to say, I don't say them anymore. There's been a great change since I was born again. Has there been that change in your life? It happens the moment you trust Jesus as your Savior. Amen? But then there's a life of living. And some of it's going to be in the furnace. 
If you got the new Heartland CD, they got a song on there. There's a fourth man walking in the flames. I love that song. Somebody said, why did, why did Jesus show up in the fiery furnace? Well, that's real easy. Who was going to untie him? They were tied up and thrown in. Do you ever think about that? It's real simple. God does what is necessary to get the job done. So when it's all said and done, we can go praise the Lord. Amen? Now, how many of you like something in your own life to say praise the Lord about? Well, first of all, you've got to understand that he's got a name that he wants to hold up. And if you're willing to be a post, he'll put his name on top of it. Amen? But you've got to be a clean one. Because God doesn't put his name on a dirty pillow. Amen? But he'll refine you. You couldn't refine yourself before you got saved. You can't refine yourself after you get saved. But if you'll draw closer to him, he'll take care of that. And as we walk with him, he said, I'll do it for my own sake. Because we glorify and praise him for changing our lives. And by the way, God is still holy and always will be. Will you let God make you or conform you to the image of his son? You'll have to go through the furnace, but God will get the glory. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we look at this passage. And Lord, there are just so many places we could go in the New Testament to shed light on the different facets of this beautiful gem that's cut in your word. Lord, we ask that you would take these next few moments and that you would work in our hearts. Lord, that you would help us to understand it's not about us, it's about you. The reason you forgive us is because of your goodness and your name and your praise. The reason you send us through the furnace is for your goodness and your praise. The reason you do it is because you're so good. You're full of love, yet you're just, you're holy, you're merciful. Lord, you are the word. Let us run into it and hide from the storms of this life. We ask that you would give us your grace to bring glory to your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand up together. The hymn of invitation.